The first reading is from Acts, the 16th chapter. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized, and her household was as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Revelation, the 21st chapter. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who, who are written in the Lamb's book of life. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Oh, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned at the beginning, today I'm going to be preaching on the epistle lesson that is assigned for Ascension Day, which is this Thursday. And I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord God, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, our reigning King and resurrected Lord. A Bible translator working in northern Burma translated the Bible into the Lisu language and then left a young fellow with the task of teaching the people to read. When the translator returned six months later, he found that three students and the teacher were seated around a table with the Bible open in front of the teacher. When the students each read... They left the Bible exactly where it was on the table, in front of the teacher. The man on the left read it sideways. The man on the right read it sideways. And from the other side, the man across from the leader read it upside down. Since they always occupied the same chairs, that's how each learned to read, and that's how each thought the language was written. Their perspective made them see the same language characters differently. A person's perspective really does affect how he or she sees and interprets life's purposes, life's events, and life's outcomes. When I was a pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coburg, I was invited to go once a year into the local high school, the public high school, where I'd get to speak with the biology students, the advanced biology students, and they had spent maybe two weeks talking about the theory of evolution. And I would be brought in to give a 50-minute presentation 
from a creationist perspective. I always enjoyed that opportunity. I found the students to be completely engaging and very open-minded. But I would always begin my lecture, if you will call it that, or my presentation by reminding them that I'm a person that wears glasses. And I literally do wear glasses. But I would remind them that all that I have glasses on, and when I look at, when I look at facts in creation, I see God's handiwork all over it because I'm unapolog- unapologetic about the fact that I see the lens of this earth and this universe through Holy Scripture. I see the realities of life around me through the lens that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. That's the lens that I see. And I said to them, and you also bring lenses to how it is that you interpret embryology, cosmology, uh, paleontology, and all of these things. And I said, to be honest with yourself, you need to first of all understand what, it is, what lens it is that you're wearing and through which you're interpreting the data that you see. Because you see, perspective helps you to interpret things one way or another. You see, many people lack a proper perspective on life because they fail to see life as God sees life. And thus, many people have a distorted understanding of life's purposes and events and outcomes. One perspective that many people share concerning life is that humankind actually rules creation. I mean, the thought that we can manipulate and control creation is something that man operates day by day by day. And from a certain perspective, it's true. Man has become very adept and adept at being able to control creation. I mean, we have test tube conception, where life can be manufactured literally in a test tube. We have genetic engineering. We have cloning. We have stem cell research. We have all kinds of things that are going on in the laboratories of the world where man is manipulating life because they believe they can. And they believe they can manipulate it even more. But really, as we look at it, we also see from another lens or God's perspective that we don't really control creation. God's creation controls us. Moses tells us in Genesis that creation manipulates and controls and in many cases, in some cases, recreates us. I mean, since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, creation has become our cursed masters and we are nature's slaves. For instance, it says in Genesis Genesis 3, with pain you will give birth to children. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I'm sure every woman that has given birth to a child can testify to the fact that you went through the pain of childbirth. And those of us who work out in the fields or in the labor force, whatever, we know how hard it is to work and for how little sometimes we get from the effort that we put in. And all of us know that sooner or later we will be returning to the dust of the earth. The tornadoes that are coming across the nation in Missouri and Oklahoma, destroying people's property and taking their lives is is a testament to the power of creation and how it masters us. The endless procession to the doctor's office in the graveyard is another stark indication of our inability to control or rule over creation. My aching sore back right now is a constant reminder to me that creation controls and rules over me. Unfortunately, many people see life from the perspective that man is in control and that 
this is the only perspective. And consequently, many people are literally despairing of life. They're overwhelmed with anxieties and depressions. And they cry out with Solomon, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And they resign themselves to defeatism and fatalism. And they sigh, oh, it is what it is. Don't you just hate that? It is what it is. A sense of being powerless overwhelms some, and some people then just simply live for today for what else is there to live for. Do you ever see life from this perspective as you try to control and manipulate life to suit you? I mean, we all kind of do it, don't we? We're all kind of manipulators of life. Do you catch yourself whispering under your breath from time to time, oh, it's meaningless, meaningless. Everything in my life is meaningless. Do you find yourself crying out from under the crushing burden of life, woe is me. Do you find yourself so overwhelmed at times that you don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning as though you are, that your labor is in vain. Even a heroic prophet like Elijah entertained such notions when he lost God's perspective of life. He cried out, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And even the psalmist laments, I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before me, before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You see, it's a daily temptation for all of us to lose the proper perspective on life and to resign ourselves to despair especially when we immerse ourselves in the problems and worries of this fallen world, when we saturate ourselves with godless philosophies and godless priorities, worldly priorities, when we fail to, and then we fail to immerse ourselves in God's word. You see, the proper perspective that we can have on life comes to us from God's word. And God's word holds before our eyes that we live in a sin-infested world. We live in a creation that groans under the curse of sin. Yes, we will feel as though we've been struck out time and time again in this corrupt society. Yes, we will be victimized and harassed and bullied by Satan, who is this unrelenting brute in this world. But God reminds us that through our crucified and resurrected and ascended Lord, we're victorious over all creation. Through our ascended Lord and Savior, we rule over the wickedness of people's hearts, the natural disasters of life, the bacteria and viruses that ravage our world and Death that stalks all of its eventual victims. Paul writes in our text, God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the sake of the church. And more than that, the same powerful one who raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion and every title that can be given, that same one, is using his omnipotent strength to ensure that you and I receive the glorious inheritance of the saints. Now this truth isn't always self-evident. This truth that Jesus rules over all authority and power and dominion, it just doesn't always come true or seemingly true in our life. It certainly isn't evident when we read the newspapers or watch CNN and Fox News or read of Christians being tortured and imprisoned for their faith or experience congregations in conflict or we walk through the, through the hospital wards or frequent funeral homes. It doesn't seem like Jesus rules anywhere, certainly on earth. And that's why Paul says in our text that the rule of Christ can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Paul writes... I pray that the eyes of your heart 
might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Yes, I pray that you have the eyes of the heart, the eyes of faith that enable you to see the rule of Christ in your life, a rule that began in your life when you were baptized as an infant, the rule of Christ that began in your life maybe when you came to faith as an adult through the power of his word, the rule of Christ in your life as his word is preached and taught, the rule of Christ in your life as you partake of the feast of victory in which our Lord gives us his very body and blood shed for us so that we might have the glorious inheritance of the saints. Yes, the rule of Christ may be invisible to our eyes at times, but the eyes of faith see that Jesus rules and reigns, and in him we are victorious over all things. On July 15, 1986, Roger Clemens, one of the best major league pitchers in all of baseball, started his first all-star game. In the second inning, Clemens came to bat, something that he hadn't done in years. And he took a few uncertain practice swings and then looked out at the forbidding opponent, Dwight Gooden, who had won the Cy Young Award the previous year. Well, Gooden wound up and he threw a white-hot fastball right past Clemens. And with an embarrassed smile on his face, Clemens stepped out of the batter's box and he asked the catcher, Gary Carter, is that what my pitch looks like? You bet it is, replied Carter. And although Clemens quickly struck out, he went on to pitch three perfect innings and was named the game's most valuable player. And from that day on, he later said, with a fresh reminder of how overpowering a good fastball is, he pitched with far greater boldness. See, he had a different perspective on life. And it gave him boldness. It is tempting for us to lose God's perspective on our life and then to fail to remember the blessings that we already have in Christ. But Ascension Day reminds us that we have an overpowering Savior who has conquered and rules over all our foes. And thus we can live life with greater boldness and greater confidence, setting our hopes not on the things of this world, but setting our hope on the glorious inheritance an inheritance that was won for us with the blood of Christ, an inheritance that waits the saints, you and me. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat>